This is a podcast by Householders Options to Protect the Environment, Hope Australia. We are a community environmental education and capacity building organisation based in Toowoomba, South East Queensland, Australia. This is a podcast in the series Eco Social Work in Australia. It was produced for Hope Australia in Toowoomba, Queensland, on and adjacent to the traditional lands of the Jarawa, Diabal, Yugara and Waka Waka peoples. Hope pays respect to the past, present and emerging leaders of all First Nations people in this country and acknowledges the unique contribution that their cultures make to contemporary Australia. Hello, my name is Andrew Nicholson and I am the producer of the Eco-Social Work in Australia podcast series. An important principle within eco-social work is that we should be mindful of the implications for practice of the concept of holism. Holism and holistic framing are important ideas also found in ecological, environmental and systems theory. Defined in one way, holism is concerned with understanding and appreciating the dynamic interconnection of the parts or elements which go to make up a system and of gaining knowledge of ways to perhaps support those systems understood as the interactive sum of their parts. Now, within eco-social work, an example of a holistic framing might be observed in the reflections of a practitioner aligning their professional values and interventions with those in their personal life or vice versa, or in considering the holistic continuity of their personal value system with their professional practice, or in their interventions across micro, meso and macro levels of work, or in their role of individual employee or professional citizen activist. Now, my guest on this episode of the series, Trina, is a social worker of long experience. She considers that her social work practice and teaching, as well as her personal life story within within its various roles, are unified by her long-standing concern for marginalised groups in society and the goal of improving their well-being and proper representation through social justice advocacy and activism. In our conversation, Trina reflects on some of these holistic personal professional continuities in the context of recent social work concerns over climate change and the public uproar concerning recent evidence of the continuing misogynistic disrespect for women in present day Australian society. Welcome, Trina, after that very long and convoluted introduction. Great to have you on the podcast today. Thank you, Andrew, very much. Hope I can do your podcast justice. I'm sure you're going to do it more than justice. (laughs) Um, So I want to start the conversation today, as I have with every other guest, by asking you to introduce yourself more fully. Give us some of the highlights of your, what I know to be a very extensive uh, professional background, and also some insight into how that personal professional continuity I just uh, referred to first linked up with your awareness of the eco-social work, what we might term the eco-social work turn within mainstream Australian social work practice? So, yes, um, I hail from Perth, Western Australia, and um, I started studying in 1984. But prior to that, and I, I see this in a lot of my students, prior to that I was already a social worker um, in that I knew how I felt about things and how angry I felt about injustice um its origins the origins of that is actually when i was a preschooler and i witnessed um the vietnam protests in town with my mother in perth town and i remember a policeman pulling a person right in front of me yeah i was a little toddler 
had hold of my mum's hand and he was being dragged along the ground protesting in front of me. And I remember being horrified and angry as a little brain, four-year-old brain might do, but I could also see the same thing in my mother. And I thought, okay, I'm whatever I'm feeling, she's feeling it too. What a, and she she sort of lurched forward to stop this, what was happening. But then she pulled back because she had a toddler. So my first remembrance of anything to do with activism um, and injustice was watching that play out in front of my four-year-old eyes. Fast forward to probably I was 19, the Nuclear Disarmament Party was the next time I got involved in any active way. Um, and, again, my mum gave me a book for Christmas by Helen Caldicott that was really interesting to read and, and I started to become active with the Perth Nuclear Disarmament Party here as a 19-year-old, not really knowing what I was talking about but just knowing that it was wrong and it had to stop. And that was actually the precursor to the Greens. So that's, that's how I've been touched by activism, but really the lead-up to that is, okay, so why social work? It's, it's, I don't know why. It just is something that I thought, okay, so what's something I'm interested in? I knew I had to expand my brain a little bit. I was in the building trade at the time. I'm interested in people. I'm interested in justice. And those two, I just fell into social work from there. So what the social work course did for me is to put a framework around why, why I thought the way that I already thought. And I see this in a lot of students. They come to the course being just as angry and, and intuitively um, wanting to change the injustices around us but not knowing why. And the why is where all the theories and all the conversations and tutorials and everything else comes from. So now I know why. And I know why even more now with the world going the way it is, deep into neoliberalism, deep into huge um, disparity between the very few who own a very big lot at the expense of millions um, of us and certainly the southern countries. So, yeah, eco social work and climate justice does have its origins way, way, way back. Um, David Suzuki, etc. I remember reading books and listening to David Suzuki. It made a whole lot of sense to me. And, again, it's about injustice and um, how climate change, anthrop I forget the word, people-made um, climate change is further dispossessing millions. Um, the expense is us, the millions of us, all for the pursuit of greed, uh, the pursuit of, of accumulation of this stuff called money. So I can't actually split, I can't actually separate um, eco-social work from every other form of social work. It's about justice. It's about what's right and what's wrong. And I just can't separate it. So, yeah, its origins really before the, before the word eco-social work was termed, it was always going to be a part of social work. Um, can I just tell a little story? This is, this is where climate change, I 
it came to it came to my personal life. Uh, it was about 20 years ago in my kids' school. One of the parents was um, from one of the Pacific Islands and she went back after 20 years of not visiting her island home. She came back with stories that the, the beach that she used to play on was now underwater. And that was the turning point for me that, okay, this is about, this cannot be separated from the dispossession of people and their homes and the access to food and clean water. It can't be separated between, from, from the, the undercurrent causes and the undercurrent causes, as I see it, is neoliberal capitalism the pursuit of wealth by a certain few at the expense of the planet and its people. That's, in a nutshell, I can't separate the two. I think that's just an excellent demonstration of the very principle of holistic continuity that I introduced this with. I mean, you're just showing, you know, that those direct links of a pre-existing, before social work career, pre-existing uh, orientation towards activism and the the critique of you know failed economic systems and their impacts on the world but i was particularly interested to hear that you know then coming into social work almost as a reinforcer you found the training if i understood correctly uh you found your training and you see that in your students as a sort of like um a further confirmation that, that what social work is training is um totally, totally. well that's, that's two, two, two theories two theories in particular absolutely put a framework around everything I ever thought, even from a four-year-old brain being disgusted and, and hurt and pained at watching this abuse in front of me. One is feminism. That brought everything into some kind of perspective for me. Absolutely. I knew, I knew, I knew it wasn't right. I knew it wasn't right that my brothers, you know, were given surfboards and I wasn't. I knew it wasn't right that I, I couldn't ride a push bike because I didn't have access to one, but my brothers did. I knew that wasn't right. <laughs> but I now, I'm, from feminism, it's like, no, it isn't right. That actually confirms why it's not right. And really that's those tiny things that happen as a tiny kid grows into something that is, you know, global um, in terms of injustice. The other um, theory that I keep, I, I keep going back to is Marxism. So that is, you know, I can't, I'm not a full bottle on Marx and I haven't read much on Marx for a long time, but some things have really stood out to me. And, um, and those two frameworks are the, the big ones for me and other, other um, theories are kind of built around those as far as from my perspective look i think that yes yeah yeah (laughs) it does it does look and i mean you know we're jumping all over here you know between action and values but i I mean again it's very appropriate i think for a discussion on holism because there is no distinction ultimately uh or or if you like there's a a very hairline crack between you know values and action or there should be and i think eco-social work this is another another theme here is that you're talking about principles of action and motivate action in traditional social work practice you know one of the one of the things about eco-social work is it's not reinventing the wheel 
of um, social work, traditional mainstream social work practice. M many of the tools, many of the theories, many of the frameworks, you know, the fight for social justice, which is, you know, front and center of a lot of social work practice going back to ever, um, is front and center in eco-social work practice. It's, it's about the effect of, within eco-social work of bringing a much stronger focus, a much more balanced focus onto the physical environment, the ecological physical environment, yep. as opposed to focusing on the social environment, important though that is. And as we're talking, you know, segueing, as they say, into the next question, I know that um, this is being recorded on Zoom, you know, but the actual audio is coming off this, but I know that you you live in a very green area, very appropriate, actually, for the purposes of this um, podcast. <laughs> There's bird sound in the background. There's a parrot tweeting there somewhere. Um, I'm not sure to order. I mean, I'm, I didn't actually order you to have a parrot in the actual um in the piece but look let's just now humorous i need to you know I, I need to just say something here i absolutely understand that what looks like perfection out here i am on stolen land for a start absolutely for another it's got fences around it and according to the ownership laws of this state i own with the exchange of this money stuff a meter down because if there's any mineral wealth down below a meter, the state owns it, <laughs> or someone who owns the state. Um, and yeah, look, it's I'm very lucky to be on some land where I can ground my feet on the earth. Very lucky, um, so lucky. But really, and I think COVID has brought it back to well it did bring it back to grassroots when people started buying a punnet of strawberries and growing it in a little patch on their deck that that being locked in with food shortages possibly or can't get to the shops or no money or whatever it was during COVID that back to basics growing your food grounding your feet getting you feeling some soil and connecting online with other people who are doing the same thing that brings it back to the absolute basic level and that's where my social work eco-social work actually lies in those kinds of things that those connections um, between the people and the earth very simple well, it is and it isn't, isn't it? Because it's it's not your sort of traditional view. I mean, in a sense, you are almost doing the equivalent of a, a food web diagram. If we if we were doing an ecology presentation here, you'd see all these interconnections between all these different species within the system, within the holistic ecosystem. <clears throat> you're drawing attention as just literally riffing off as we come through this uh, discussion. You're making the point about you know land rights, about ownership, about neoliberal exploitation i mean all of these things for you I, and they and of course they are interconnected but it's so it's so refreshing to hear a person through through her observational experience making those links and and it's it's a very valid sort of model for you but let, let's just let's just pursue this you you've already started to answer this next question which is for you what is green or eco-social work practice in 2021 by which i mean you know what does it actually mean to you what do you think it's all about I'm getting the sense that, you know, very high up the chain for you is something around the, the social injustice of, you know, the economic models that we use and that create exploitation and disempowerment and marginalization. But you tell me, I mean, what, what for you 
because this is quite still a recent turn in social work practice, even though the antecedents go back well into the 90s and possibly even before, it's been late, uh, you know, a late cab off the rank, if you like, in terms of getting into mainstream practice. It's still being debated and discussed and theory being evolved. So for you in 2021, and I know you, you're actually, you are across this in terms of a training role. What do you make of the whole concept of green or eco-social? Let's call it eco-social work practice. Again, um, I think that during COVID we saw that mental health issues were or problems were arising out of the lack of connectedness with other people. And at its very basic grassroots, those connections with other people actually can be made through community gardens, for example. I know, I know that, you know, it sounds all woo, airy fairy, whatever, but things like, okay, um, this is an actual example. There was a community garden in one of the more remote towns that had, you know, it had it had become overgrown too. People were starting to lose interest in it. It was actually a viable thing, but only temporarily. But there was actually a community of Iranian women in the same town and they had a cooking thing going every Thursday at the local childcare centre or whatever it was, community centre. So this connection wasn't made, but having thought about it, it could have been made. And these potentials are really what it comes down to for me, that... If someone from who was interested in the garden, also interested in in the cooking thing, went to the cooking thing with the Iranian women and said, "Hey, this is really interesting. What is it that you're using there?" And it might be, you know, something that's a, 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 something we don't necessarily get in Woolies down the road here. What are you using there? Hey, how about would you want to come over and show us how how you grow that? And and we, you can come over to the garden and do this and we'll go over there and watch you cook it. But it's not to do with the garden or the cooking. It's to do with those connections between people who would not necessarily ever think they had anything in common. But we do. We have humanity in common. So that can surpass, that little scenario can as can music, as can art, surpass language difficulties or, or um, you know, the, the fact that you don't speak each other's tongue. Um, those connections, that human connectedness is what it's all about. And again, it's become, I'm becoming very simple here, but we can see what happens when people are disconnected from people. And those that connectedness is what we are missing. It is what is caught the, the root cause in my in in my view of mental health issues, of alcohol and other drugs, of all the things that social workers deal with on a day-to-day basis in their practice, the root cause is that disconnectedness, that dispossession from basic human connection, connectedness. So, Trina, you know, you've already started to answer this question uh, around what is eco-social work practice. Let's perhaps anchor that uh, a bit more squarely. Can you give us some interpretations of what you consider to be eco-social work practice in 2021, possibly um, resonating particularly with your recent social justice concern around 
the counter to misogyny, the, the incredible uh, public marches for women's social justice in the, in the light of the disgusting revelations that have been coming out all over the place in the media recently. Perhaps, you know, anchoring what, what eco-social work is about in relation to that, that particular social justice push. And, you know, some examples um, based on your recent experience in being involved with that, that movement and push. Yep. So this is, um, again, it's, it's those links I'm not going to be able to draw as closely as I would like. But I'd just like to go through what happened with the March for Justice and how we were able to organise such a movement within 10 to 12 days. It took tw- 10 to 12 days. There were conversations going on social media and we could, I could see people with, women were thinking the same way as I was and one struck up a conversation in a, in a comment section in Perth and this is what happened in Perth and it happened all over Australia. So exactly the same process ha- processes happened. Saw that there was somebody saying exactly the same and some, somebody else saying exactly the same. It's like we have a movement here and how are we going to bring this together to say enough is enough. We will not, we see through this and we will not tolerate it. How do we go about that? So it just happened with little conversations and, and it's okay, I would, let's get in, can I PM you, can I private message you? Within within a day we had a private, in Perth anyway, we had a private messenger thing going between several different networks and it's like, right, okay, we're going to do something about this and it's like, okay, in Canberra, they're talking about putting a ring around the Parliament House. Great idea. Let's all do it on the same day. So there was a there was a national group and then there was all the splinter groups from different capital cities that went away and did the same thing, but within the basic principles that we were all agreeing to. So within, within 10 days, and it was due to our networks, it was absolutely due to our networks, what we sorted okay who works at universities it was me so you know in the Perth group so it's like okay I can get I can you know canvas the universities who in my own way and even cold call people and get get a young speaker from the guild so that was one of my my things and I did I've got a young speaker from the guild the women's the women's person from the guild she came and spoke then you know I was involved I am involved with well was involved with the Noongar choir and and it wasn't my connection, but somebody else had a connection with the same choir. They ended up singing "I Am Woman" in Noongar right there and then at the march. So those kinds of connections, we found the networks were very strong, and our the power of being able to, with a shared principle and shared rage, absolute rage, that this is still going on. Um, that brought us together in something monumental and we are not going to shut up. So I see that those kinds of um, connections, uh, those that kind of organic way of building networks, strong networks on something that is really, really important and eco-social, eco-everything has got to do with this damn planet and the way we live on it, um, those same kinds of processes happened with XR, the same kind of processes are happening now with the with the various green movements. So those processes, those networks and that rage and that urgency are exactly the same between the two movements. 
they're, they're the they're the links I can make, but the actual, you know, theoretical links, no, don't have those. <laughs> Not yet. Well, we, we want all sorts of links in, in this series, you know, theoretical and practical and on the ground and, um, you know, from direct intuitive uh, realisation based on direct experience. Yeah. But I think you're yeah. pointing as a... You know, frankly, as a layperson in this particular area, <clears throat> because I'm not, I've not been working in that in that space of um, the social justice for the for the f- um, feminist cause recently. But you know, you're pointing to this, you know, fairly simple principle at base that a sustainable world will be a socially just world. I mean, that's I know that's but just to spell that out as, as articulated in the 2030 exactly. agenda of sustainable development and this and the sustainable development goals. And we'll put links to all of these resources into the uh, episode notes. You also made reference there to the Noongar, I think that's how you pronounce it, the Noongar um, uh, First Nations culture of, of WA Perth. Just for those Southwest, listeners who, yeah. Yeah, who might not be uh, aware of that, you know, again, I'll put some links to that because I think that that particular First Nations peoples have been very active in, you know, rediscovering their language and their voice and actually putting that into various uh, formats, you know, including, as you've just said, a choir. They're very interesting. Um, and there are, there are quite rich resources now that you can actually, I believe, study that language, no language. There's, uh, you know, uh, you know, university resources for that and all that sort of stuff. But look, just staying with this uh, and we're staying with the social justice stuff around, you know, as a, as a sort of counter to the culturally embedded misogyny that um, Australian society is focused strongly on at the moment just to spell this out you know perhaps it doesn't it doesn't need to be spelled out for the likes of myself and yourself trina i mean we know this but i do ask every every um guest in this series the so what question just to just for the purposes of spelling out to the nth degree as to why you know social work mainstream social work should be involved with sustainability issues such as climate change, you know, biodiversity loss, but specifically we're talking here about culturally embedded misogyny. I mean, what what yeah. is the what is the go on on that? Yeah. Okay. So the un- I think it's within the u- uniqueness of social work, and that is that we might work in a clinical setting, but that is not separated from the community, the meso level community setting, and it's definitely um, not separated from the macro, which is the policies and the the um, ideologies of the day that Im- are imposing on those people that we work with in a, you know, day-to-day setting. So I think that that viewpoint, no matter where we work, if we work in the micro, if we work in the meso, if we work in the in macro, if we work in education across the whole lot, that ability to make connections between what we are doing at the time and those bigger issues those justice issues, eco-justice, social justice, economic justice, political justice, the fact that we, we um, dynamically view all those things all at once, no matter what level we're working on, and in a sense of as it moves along in time. So we also had that time factor. What happened in the 40s, for example, would be very different to what happened in the 80s. It's very different to what's happening now. So... I think that ability to think dynamically and no matter what we're doing during the day, in our day-to-day work, that we never let go of those other levels and those connections that we must make with social workers and other workers in those other levels to promote justice for the people that we work with. So I don't know if that's, again, it's a very, yeah, I don't know. That's how I see it. It's a very holistic answer. <laughs> uh, you know, to be, to be conceded. But um, 
Listen, you, you've already started to segue us, as they say, to, to you know, towards the end of this interview in terms of a, a future view. Because again, I ask each guest in this series to to start to ponder about the future. It's very difficult to be precise about the future. That's known to be um, an imprecise process, but we can all imagine a preferred future and develop a vision of how it could be achieved. In in fact, you've been you know pointing to that in your last couple of comments, but I just want to sort of tie that down a bit more. So to ask you, as I do with each guest, you know, for some suggestions or even just the thoughts off your top of the top of your head about you know how eco-social work practice, whether it be around um, culturally embedded misogyny, whether it be around climate change or some other sustainability issue, how that can be progressed or how it should be progressed in the short to midterm future in Australia. So staying with the, yeah. the midterm future, the next 10 years, I was wondering whether you have some ideas about that. How, where, where can the, the actual practice go during the next 10 years? And perhaps, you know, tying it specifically to your holistic activist-oriented stance, I'm sure you will, um, but, you know, in talking, talking about that, in effect, visioning process, but uh, a visioning process anchored to some realities. So, the, the, again, the, 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 the basic premise of everything we do, I believe, is human connectedness. And I think that those very small projects and very small connections that people are doing within community are really, really, really important. Uh, there's, a, there's an example, actually. Um, it's called Buy Nothing. It's a, and, again, this, okay, this comes from, this actually comes from the very early Greens, the personal, uh, not the personal, um, oh, what's that catch cry? Oh, think global, act local. And it's fantastic. There is, it's, it's a global thing. It's done on social media, but it comes down to just your suburb, just your suburb. There is no money exchange and it's got to do with reusing everything. So something that you can't use or haven't used, you put a picture of it on Buy Nothing and somebody down the road can actually walk to your place, pick it up and they can use it. When you have little kids, you've got toys hanging around all over the place. You don't need them anymore. When well, I've got three three adult sons, and they probably would like to see what their toys were like. But um, you know that sort of thing is just like, okay, why do we need to chuck any of this stuff away? Why does there need to be any money exchange when somebody's got something that you need? That is actually a really good example of um, oh, geez, it's it's a it's touching on eco social work because it is about reusing. It is about no money exchange. It is about community. It is about making friends in, you know, a walk away from where you live. It's about saying g'day to the person when you're taking your dog for a walk who you gave something to or who you picked something up from. Those connections are, I, I think, they're pretty much eco-social work. Um, now, the second part of your question, and I had something pretty good to say about this one. Can't remember what the second part was. <laughs> no, I think, I think you've asked answered the, the first part. I mean, I, the second part, if if you want to, you know, consider that is that's the longer term future. Say so the next ten years, you know, let's get more. I mean, because what you're talking about there, and I think this does link link into general um, themes in this discussion is what is now being branded as the circular economy. You know, the idea of trying to have an economy that minimizes waste. <clears throat> that repurposes um, stuff at the end of its life, that does away with, you know, pure uh, economic transactions in an attempt to cut excessive consumption and all that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah, there's that. There's that. But let's not let the big corporations, the 
biggest polluters and the richest organizer, uh, richest countries. Let's not get them let let them get away with it. We actually do that. Look, I am all for getting on the street and getting loud and getting in big numbers and saying enough is enough. This is not right. We need to change this whole structure. We need to stop this this exploitation. It is going to kill us. And it's going to, you know, when we come down to it, water is going to be a commodity. It's going to be a payable, something you actually pay for. Who's going to be the thirstiest that can't buy water? The poorest nations, the poorest people. Not right. Absolutely not right. Wrong. So get on the street. <laughs> I'm all for a national strike. <laughs> Don't know if I should be saying this on podcast. But... Well, you know, again, and also have some humour by the sound of it, you know, laugh at, um, you know, with, with the black comedy of neoliberalism. But um, Oh, you've got to. Look, you, I, I mean, again, this is fantastic because the whole process of this podcast is demonstrating a holistic thread, you know, of everything being connected to everything else. Um, but in the sense of moving down through this as we come to the end of this very rich and very valuable and, and interesting discussion, you've already started to touch again upon another area I was going to ask you about in terms of that sort of SWOT framework, SWOT, you know, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. Part of the threat of all of this is the constraints acting on the system. I mean, this is a, um, a progressive podcast series. It's optimistic in, in seeking or asking guests to uh, present their solutions to um, getting more adoption of eco-social work practice into the mainstream. But we all know that it's a slow process. And just like any other issue of uh, social policy adoption or you know uh, institutional adoption, it's slow work. There are constraints acting against it. Now, so do you want to say something about that? At the, at the highest level, you were talking there about one of the constraints, the pushback of the corporate world yeah. or whatever, the spoiling tactics of big business. But do you want to say something more generally about, you know, what might be holding back eco-social work adoption into the mainstream? Because we, just like, as with climate change generally, we need to crack on with this. This is my particular take on it. Uh, and we need to get more adoption into the mainstream sooner rather than later. Do you have anything to say around that topic? Uh, look, there, there is something, yeah, that that is it's constantly in the back of my mind when it comes to um, eco-justice generally and eco-criminalism, and that is that science and the humanities or the social science, whatever you like to call us, um, don't seem to have a... We, we haven't collaborated very well, and... I think that a, a collaboration between the two is something that would be extremely powerful, but I do have to say something here. At the moment, we do see science um, generally as being seen as faultless and scientists are, you know, whatever, but that's not true. Scientists are people too, and they can be corruptible and they they can be bought out and they can they can also work for, for you know, big mining companies and and tick the box for destruction that you know we are working with people so i'm going to say that we need to get like-minded science and the facts and like-minded social justice pursuers or warriors whatever you like to call us together because i don't have the science and i do believe the science but i don't believe it from some scientists so look, we yeah, oh geez, it is a like-mindedness that we're getting together here, and it's really, really important we do this now. Yesterday, actually, so that kind of collaboration is something that um, we really need to work on. 
that was the one that's the one that burns my mind when I'm thinking about okay how do we do this I don't know enough about the science we don't know enough about the science but but, but, but we, we know about this bit. We know about social justice and what needs to change and misogyny. We do know about misogyny and we do know about um, the, 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 you know, the, the world's wealth being held by a few and we do know about wealth distribution and how that, what that causes and poverty and all that sort of stuff. So we can inform each other, but those collaborations are really important. I think they're overdue. So, you know... I suppose interpreting what you said there, I mean, one thing that jumps out for me is even the objectively um, authentic uh, science evidence, you just need to be a bit careful about that. You know, who's saying what for what purposes? Yeah. I'm yeah. just just playing money. Dev- watch well, the you, money. Yeah, that's right. Watch, that's right. Watch where that money's going because that is that is where the corruptibility happens. Yeah, the greed and and yeah, absolutely. Be we need to. The social sciences or humanities need to be able to put that critical viewpoint to scientists and the, the science itself. But I, again, I don't know. We don't know enough about the science. Scientists do. It's just that you know, scientists, scientists, and science are two different things. Well, absolutely, absolutely. Well, yes. so I mean, I'll, I mean, just just to be a bit frivolous about this as we come towards the end of this this interview. Are we could, could we envisage the idea of a melon type concept coming into green so, eco social work because you could have green uh, melon green um, eco social workers green on the outside but possibly um, <laughs> what would we say corporate blue on the inside or whatever the colour for corporates uh, represents it. corporates so we would need to be aware of that as well wouldn't we because we do on, absolutely totally on both sides I totally agree and really you know like the, the the bottom line of some of this is that we this oh I don't know even how to put this but I think that there is leadership in the capitalist countries the northern countries and Australia, that is, in fact, psychopathic. It is actually that we are constantly gaslit, lied to, deflections, projections, everything else. And I do think that that is a really big issue in terms of how do we get the enablers of that? How do we get those that big bunch of enablers to step back and look through critical eyes and say, whoa, hang on, that is a lie? I don't know how, to, I don't know how we do that, but some of us see right through it. So getting those who see right through it together is what an, another um, collaboration that needs to happen. Well, Trina, look, on the, on the happy assumption that, we, that you and I at least are not eco-social work melons, let's actually come right, right to the end of this fantastic interview uh, to ask you, just to, uh, look, I think it would be impossible for you to summarise uh, you know, in, in one or two sentences, but I'm, I'm going to ask and give you the task nonetheless. Um, you've given us a whole range of interesting ideas and, and, and they have been holistic. I mean, it's been a, a great example of that because they've linked, you know, in various ways throughout the discussion, which is exactly, you know, in order for a holism demonstration. But do you have a short take home message? You know, one a key idea from your conversation today that, that for you anyway, summarizes what you've been on about today, some some key theme or principle. <laughs> Yeah, I think anger is actually a really good motivator. <laughs> and I think hope. If you can get hope and anger together and never, like, I don't think this is going to leave me personally and a whole lot of people I know, the hope and the anger until my last breath. And so some of us will never stop doing what we're doing. Um, and, yeah, that... Uh, <laughs> It's really back to basics here. It's like the anger's just not going anywhere. And the hope's not either. 
So you can't lose, you can't have one without the other. Otherwise, you would be really, you know, you would not function. So let's all keep functioning and let's get angrier and louder and join together in that and hope, lots and lots of hope. It's, I don't know, that's not even a takeaway, but. <laughs> no, it, it is, it is. Look, I think that's a great, you know, point to leave the interview. I mean, that, that idea of, a, you know, if not a continuing, but a, a continuing, but a balancing, you know, hope and anger. I mean, what an interesting way to end this interview. Yeah. So look, it's been a privilege to talk with you today. You've given our audience food for thought. Uh, which might help inform their own thinking, because that's the, the whole idea behind this podcast series, as well as just, you know, explicating the ideas is that other people will start conversations as well. So, you know, you've we've talked with a, across a range of ideas on the principle of holistic continuity within practice, professional citizen, uh, citizen activism within social work, what relevance those issues might have to the listener's practice, I think is the, is the key issue here. So I really do hope your comments might encourage them, listeners, to start their own conversations on the subject of eco-social work adoption with their friends, colleagues, within employing organisations or professional associations. But Trina, it just remains on behalf, on behalf of Householders' Options to Protect the Environment to thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, Andrew, for your patience and putting up with my many segues. <laughs> been a pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast episode in the series Eco-Social Work in Australia, produced for Householders' Options to Protect the Environment. Please consult the episode text notes for possible references to topics discussed and relevant contact details should you wish to respond to anything you've heard. My name is Andrew Nicholson, producer of the series, and thank you for listening.